0: This program is sponsored by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Students and faculty aren't just ready for change at the Scripps College, they're hungry for it. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't. But the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today, we're talking with Dr. Andrew Salee, the president of Migration Policy Institute in Washington, D.C., a think tank dedicated to improving immigration and integration policies. He talks with us about the current crisis on our southern border, as characterized by President Trump, and other immigration policies. Andrew, talk about uh, this crisis on the the southern border. I know that you've spent a long time uh, studying this and and, uh, doing policy measures about this. Uh, Do we truly have a crisis on the southern border?
1: You know, it's hard to argue it's a crisis because we have fewer people coming across the border. You know, about a fourth of the the number of people are getting apprehended um, than, you know, 15 years ago. The numbers have gone down quite a bit. But it is a crisis in the sense that we're seeing more children and families. You know, the majority of the people being stopped now on the southern border are children and families. And the vast majority are from Central America now. Um, This used to be, uh, you know, we used to have lots of Mexican men coming across looking for work in the United States. What we're getting now are are primarily Guatemalans and Hondurans, some El Salvadorans, but primarily Guatemalans and Hondurans, two biggest, actually, countries now sending people um, who are trying to cross illegally, more than Mexico these days, and El Salvador is in fourth place, um, to the United States. And a lot of them are fleeing situations of violence. And so it's a crisis in the sense that it's become more complicated, not because the numbers are up but the situations are more complicated to deal with. Who really needs protection? Who doesn't? How do you deal with kids, you know, who aren't traveling with their parents? How do you deal with, with kids who are traveling with their parents? So so there are a lot of complications involved in this.
0: And also, uh, at least the president points out there are legal uh, complications. Could you Could you touch on those just a bit?
1: That's right. I mean there are lots of legal complications. We deal with, you know, with with, you know, young men and young women for that matter who are over the age of 18 or 18 and over. They can be sent back to their countries, they can be deported if they don't have asylum claims. Um, But uh, increasing and that was the case when we were dealing with primarily Mexicans. It was fairly easy. People tried to cross, they got caught, or they didn't, and if they got caught, they got sent back. Right now we're dealing with lots of people who are applying for asylum, they're applying for protection, and our asylum system is overburdened, so people get to stay in the country for two or three years while their case goes through. Um, And uh, we're dealing with lots of children who can't be held in detention and families who can't be held in detention. Um, for more than, than 20 days. And so it is a, a situation that lends itself to a lot more complications at the border. But it also means that the solutions are a little more complex than saying, do we build a wall or not build a wall? Or do we, you know, we say it's a crisis or we don't say it's a crisis. There are lots of nuances we actually have to deal with as we, we try and figure out what's going on and how we respond to it.
0: Help us define this for me and for our audience, uh, Andrew, and that is the difference between an illegal immigrant, somebody who crosses the border illegally, and someone who is seeking asylum. I think those get conflated, and I know they are separate things.
1: They are separate things. I mean, you know, there is a... um, People who who are illegal immigrants are people who have come here crossed illegally, and their purpose is to try and work, and then they are subject to being deported. An asylum seeker is someone who says that they're fleeing from persecution in their home country. Either the government's after them, or the government hasn't been able to stop other people from coming after them. Often in the case of Central America, it's gangs, um, it's people coming after them because they want to them to pay extortion money every month, or they want their children to join the gangs. Um, in some cases, religious persecution, they're going after evangelical communities um, that, that are opposed to the gangs. So it's, those tend to be asylum seekers, and it becomes hard to figure out. There were, there were about 92,000 people that started the asylum process, that took the first step last year, which is called Credible Fear. It's an interview they give you to see if you have a case or not, um, and about 80% of the people are passing those uh, the Credible Fear hearings. So it was 92,000 people. Um, And it's hard to know how many of those people are going to have a good case in the end, you know, who is sort of coming up, you know, trying to drag out the bad things that happened and present as a case, and who are the people that are really fleeing? And we know there are a lot of people really fleeing for their lives, so we have to err on the side of assuming everyone needs protection, but obviously not everyone that presents a case is, is going to win their case in the end.
0: Now talk about a person who seeks asylum and tries to go through a normal border station as opposed to someone who tries to enter the country illegally but if caught claims asylum.
1: Yeah, we have, um, you know, two, almost three systems uh, set up to do this. I mean, on paper, there are two, but there's really operates as three. So there is what's called the affirmative asylum system where you come into the United States, usually through an airport, usually with a tourist visa, and you apply for asylum once you're in the country. Um, A lot of Venezuelans are doing this right now, actually. I mean, we have a huge, largest number of affirmative asylum seekers, actually, people fleeing from Venezuela, but tend to be slightly better off. They were able to get a plane ticket and a visa, and they come to the United States, and once inside the U.S., they apply. Then you have two categories of people that are what we call defensive asylum seekers. Um, the, The way you're supposed to do it, as the government says repeatedly, is to go to a port of entry, um, and hand yourself in. There's an asylum window, and say, I, you know, I need asylum. That is why, I've, you know, I'm I'm not from Mexico. There are a few Mexicans, but they're mostly Central Americans, a few Chinese and Indians, and others, by the way, that that do this um, from Mexico to the United States. So you go to the asylum window and say I'm seeking protection. Um, they then detain you, give you the uh, credible fear hearing to see if you have a case, and if you're in the 80 percent or so that do, then then you're given, then you can start the process of applying for asylum. Um, increases become hard to do that because they're only taking a few people every day at the asylum windows at the ports of entry. They're doing what's called metering, and they say it's because they don't have enough resources um, in Homeland Security, and so they can't take very many people, but it, but it often is, is means that people have to spend a couple months waiting before they can get to that asylum window. Well, and so the third way is you just run through the desert or across the mountains or wherever you can to try and get in the United States, and when you get to the U.S., you either hand yourself in to the first border patrol agent you see or they catch you and you then say you want asylum and then you go through the same process as well. And, and we're now – we suspect we're seeing more people doing that now because it's hard to get to the asylum window. So people are just choosing to to go through the, the illegal crossings and, and hope that they get to see a border or a patrol agent that they can hand themselves into.
0: You, you talked about uh, the first interview, the interview about uh, fear and, and to establish a basis for requesting asylum. But what happens to the asylum seekers – I assume that there is no immediate order of asylum and that it goes through a legal process. Literally, what happens to those people during that process? Help us understand that.
1: Well, the process sounds great um, in theory, but it actually breaks down in pra- practice because there are so many people applying right now. What happens once you've applied for Credible Fear is you have. chance to um, then present your asylum claim usually you're given once you've applied for credible fear you're given um, you're released from custody you don't have to be unless you have children with you um, or you're a child yourself but uh, but you tend to be released from custody you're then allowed to apply for asylum Um, some people are actually kept in detention particularly adults but the families are almost always let go and you then have to present an asylum case And this would make lots of sense, and you're given at that point, once you apply for asylum, you're given a work permit. Um, But this is where the system begins to break down, because there are so many people applying, and because all the cases now go through immigration courts, uh, more on that later, because there are other ways we could organize this, but that's how it's structured now. Um, You have to wait for a hearing in in the immigration courts, and that can take anywhere from two to four years, depending where you're applying. And so people have work permits, they're in the country, um, and they're waiting for a really long time. And, and this is bad in two ways. It's bad for reasons that President Trump has said, which is that it creates an, an incentive for people who may not have a strong claim to still present one because they know they'll be allowed to stay in the country and have a work permit. And that's true. But it's also bad from the side what you hear from advocacy groups that say people who are really fearing for their lives that have fled from something terrible also have to wait two to four years to find out if they're going to get protection, and they live in constant fear they could be deported back. So it's not really fair either to to people who are asking for protection who need it, nor is it a good way of running a system where you want to deter people from making frivolous claims.
0: I know your organization, Migration Policy Institute, uh, a nonpartisan group, really tries to advance policy that works uh, to, to help uh, immigration and, and integration. Uh, it seems to me – and this is a long-winded question, so bear with me. It sure. seems to me that now because we're tied up with the government shutdown and we're tied up with politics of 2020 – uh, that we've lost grasp on the facts and that both sides claim the other is being erroneous in, in their claims and that each side is, is evil and we're, we're getting nowhere. So, so help me with my frustration. You know, how do, how do we sort out what's true, what's not true?
1: You know, it's really hard because the, you know, the what reality, what's happened is that the discussion has become full of symbolic talking points, right? And so you have President Trump saying that he needs a wall across the entire border, which is a ridiculous idea. I mean, you could argue for for lots of different kinds of measures of border security, but a wall is not a, you know, one-size-fits-all one solution. It certainly doesn't do anything to drugs that go through ports of entry, so it really doesn't help there. But now you have the Democrats in Congress also saying that, that no amount of wall is ever good, that we should never have any walls, which is equally ridiculous, because there are parts of the border where if you think, you know, stopping illegal immigration is the thing to invest in, there are parts of the border where, where you know, a wall and other kinds of physical barriers would make sense. But both sides have now claimed an extreme position. You know, a wall has become a a, a sort of symbol that they can't back away from it. They've sold to their base as the ultimate symbol. I and mean, Trump hasn't gone to his base to say, you know, with some nuance. look, when I say a wall, I'm talking about border security, which means many things. And the Democrats haven't gone to their base and said, the Democrats in the House, and said, when we say no wall, you know, we mean we might agree to some kinds of barriers, but it's, you know, but we want a more nuanced discussion. Both sides have gone to extremes here. And I think this is true on almost everything, that there is this sense part of the country feels now that anything that encourages immigration is bad. That's a minority of Americans, but it's an important minority, important to President Trump's base. And you have an important minority of Americans who think that anything involving enforcement of immigration is a bad thing, and that's an important part of Nancy Pelosi's base and the, Demo- the Congressional Democrats' base. And in the middle, you have a lot of Americans who say, look, I like immigration. I like immigrants. It's important for the country. But I also want to know that we're policing our borders in some sort of rational way. Give me some answers that tell me how we're going to do this. How are we going to be fair? You know, how are we fair to immigrants? But not only that, how are we fair to Americans? Because we need immigration, but we do it in an organized, orderly way. And that's where most Americans are, frankly, in that middle ground there. And both sides have, have given up on that middle ground, unfortunately.
0: Well, it, being in that middle ground, I, I, I think my view reflects a lot of people in our audience. I feel like I'm being held hostage by by two sides you know with the government shutdown thrown in here mm-hmm. that i'm being held hostage and i don't see a way out of this
1: no because i think you know working on immigration policy you know i i'll occasionally say to people you know i mean we're in the middle of an of a, of a. I said this to a group of state legislators the other day you know we're in the middle of an of a government shutdown, which is ostensibly about immigration policy, but is really about other things, right? I mean, in some ways, right. my, my sense is immigration policy has become the the um, the symbolic uh, idea, but it's really being used as a proxy for for lots of other ideas that that Democrats and Republicans want to beat up each other on. It's not, and it's not even Democrats and Republicans anymore. It's it's President Trump and the leadership of the Democratic Party and in In the Congress, right? I mean, they distrust each other so much at this point that they really have have you know staked out extreme positions um on on one set of issues around immigration, but it could be other stuff, right? It could be healthcare care, there could be lots of other things that that take that place in another moment um you I know mean, most Americans are actually pretty sympathetic to the notion that that immigration is good for the country that this is an immigration nation and all of us have. You know, almost all of us in this country have immigration heritage, one way or another. I mean, and that—that that is, um, not all immigration has been glorious. Some of it was slavery, but there, you know, almost have have some one that moves some some part of the world to the United States in our background. And so, we are a country that's sympathetic to immigration. That's part of our secret sauce that makes America work. We know that, but Americans want to know, frankly. You know. Who are we bringing in as a priority of everyone? Do we, you know, how do we bring people in? Do we bring them for work? Do we bring them for family? Reunification, how many people get to come in each year? Um, Do they come in temporarily or permanently? Who gets to become a citizen? What do you do with people who came as children illegally versus those who came as adults? And what do you do to, you know, reduce the number of people coming illegally, which I think is a legitimate question as well. And I don't hear either side talking with that kind of complexity. I think Americans are pretty sophisticated. They can take complexity. And and it sounds like both sides have reduced this to a talking point.
0: We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University is comprised of five schools, each offering a variety of majors and programs for students who want to pursue communication-related careers. From the highly technical information and telecommunication systems to the theoretical communication studies and everything in between, programs in the college offer students both the fundamentals of communication practice and the tenacity and skills to further advance the field. In addition, the college is home to four centers and institutes that enable students to gain hands-on experience and learn new skills. You can learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Am I wrong, but it seems that we also have uh, institutional roles at play here. Obviously, we have a, a brand new Democratic House. We have a Republican Senate. We have a Republican president. The Republican president is sometimes at odds with the Republican Senate, so I can't say that those are are evenly blended. But, but doesn't Congress, as a policy-making body, have a right to do some of what we're now seeing abdicated to the President,
1: you would think so. and and I think part of the the question has been, you know, can Congress reach a deal that the President will agree to? And there have been some attempts over the past year that haven't gone anywhere. And so it's made most Republicans shy, Republicans who want to make a deal shy of getting too far away from the President and Democrats skeptical that they can talk to their Republican colleagues in in the Congress and make a deal that, that, you know, could stick with the president. And I think that's a problem. I mean, I I think there is a sense that the president um, is unpredictable in terms of making deals, and uh, it it doesn't make sense for Congress to try and, and reach a deal um, among themselves, unless the White House is signed off ahead of time, and I, I think it's a legitimate criticism, and that is part of trump's negotiating style, and it's, i don't think it's been helpful um for him or or for Congress but on the other hand the 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 other side of this you know where you see Democrats reject you know immediately when the President decides that he's going to offer you know a, a new approach to to negotiating the end of the shutdown and immigration policy over the weekend, and Democrats dismiss it out of hand. I think it's also dangerous, right? I mean, you see Democrats also getting into that position where they don't say, hey, there's some interesting things on the table here. We're not going to take them at face value, but we can, you know, there's some elements we could work with here. Because I I remember a year ago, and even less than a year ago, Democrats and Republicans were negotiating DACA for wall deals, um, you know, trying to figure out how to give a legal pathway to young people that came here as kids illegally in return for the the money for the wall yeah I mean it was really that was on the table, and that's what we're talking and, and now it 's as though that is not an option for Democrats, so you know you have to wonder you know both sides have their element of irrationality here
0: you're you're an expert uh, on immigration, and you have a particular interest in in Mexico I know talk yes. about the role of Mexico in all of this? We, we see Mexico as sort of this conduit uh, for these horrendous caravans as, as characterized by, by President Trump, but, but what role is Mexico playing in, in all of this and should we expect them to step up in any way?
1: You know, Mexico is trying to figure out what role they're playing. Mexico still sees it, most Mexicans still see their country as a country that people are leaving. But it's not true anymore. I mean, it is true that there are 11 million uh, Mexicans born, you know, people born in Mexico live in the United States. But the numbers keep dropping. We've actually seen the number of Mexicans living in the U.S. dropping for the past few years, which is shocking. I mean, and in the month of December, what we know from DHS is that there were actually more Guatemalans and Hondurans that were caught uh, trying to cross the border illegally than Mexicans. I mean, that is unbelievable. Mexico is just such a bigger country right next door. There's not many Mexicans leaving anymore. I mean, it's just the, it, it is a surprising change. But that change also means that Mexico is for the first time trying to, you know, catch up their mental maps and see what it means to be a country that people are either immigrating to, because a lot of people are actually moving to Mexico, Central Americans, Venezuelans and others, Um, but also what is you know what does it mean to be a country of transit where people are crossing through to the United States and so they've tried quietly deporting people the last few years they've actually deported more people than the United States has been very quiet they haven't talked about it but they have more deportations um total since 2014 than the US does back to Central America now they're trying a different policy which is to allow people to come into Mexico legally but not allowing them to cross through Mexico to get to the US border. And it's not clear how that's gonna work. That's the the new government that came in December first has wanted to give people a legal pathway into Mexico but not allow them to go through the country. And it isn't clear to me that once you've given someone a legal status in Mexico you can stop them from transiting through the country. It's just hard to control that other people so but I think they're they're trying to figure this out. They're they're actually trying to stop the number of Central Americans coming through, but they they don't quite know how to do it yet, and it's not a national conversation they're comfortable with.
0: Andrew, I know that is, as part of what you do and at your uh, institute is is to look at policy and to get people to talk and to get people uh, to try to make fact based decisions. Tell me how we're going to break out of this this stalemate that that we're in. What are there new things that could be talked about that that haven't been uh, that uh, give us some hope here?
1: <laughs> you know, you never know whether to go big or go small, right? Sometimes right. making things smaller is easier, and sometimes you got to go big because the more elements you put on the table, the more you can mix and match, right? right. I think there's enough elements now on the table that reasonable people can reach a compromise. Now I don't know if we're dealing with reasonable people. That's my
0: right. That's your caveat. Right.
1: That is my caveat. It is a big caveat. But I think that there are elements on the table. Look, I mean, there is nothing um, wrong with border security. Every country needs border security. It is something most Democrats, you know, can agree that some form of border security is needed. Um, whether they call it a wall or something else, but, you know, whether it's a top priority or not, but, but it is not immoral to, to you know, try and have some sort of, of greater control of the border. Increasingly we've seen a lot of Republicans, including President Trump, now embrace the notion of a legal pathway for 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 dreamers, for people who have DACA, as well as for people with temporary protected status. Um, now, whether they are willing to do a path to citizenship or not could be a sticking point, but there's but there's some acceptance of that. There should be conversations going on about our asylum system. We started off talking about asylum. I mean, one one of our right. options out there is to to actually speed up the asylum system by not throwing everything into the into the immigration courts, which are so overwhelmed. By actually allowing doing what we do with refugees, which is is allow administrative officers, asylum officers as they're called, to make the first decision about who gets asylum. And it's the kind of thing you could resource much quicker and you could actually change the system. So there's some new ideas you could throw on the table Um, in addition to what's there. There should be a way that both sides could agree at this point. You know, I mean, this is, and and I've heard, you know, Democrats say, look, even if, if, you know, Congress gives President Trump $5 billion, that's not all going to be spent in the next two years. So, you know... And it's not as permanent as it looks. And, you know, you see people in the the White House saying, look, that pushing back on, on their detractors uh, on the right saying, look, we're talking about DACA and TPS. We don't want to do, sit. you know, we're not talking about citizenship. We're talking about a solution for three years. In some ways, I think the out may be people agreeing to give things that are not totally permanent because there isn't the trust yet for a permanent solution, and then agreeing to keep negotiating. And I thought it was one of the interesting things that President Trump said over the weekend. I mean, he did say, you know, we've got to keep negotiating about a larger immigration deal. In, in some ways, you hope the way out is people fixing some things temporarily right now, but agreeing to sit down and build confidence and trying to, to do some bigger fixes over time.
0: When you talk about uh, the legal aspects of this, the court aspects of especially in asylum uh purists always raise the issue of due process that that we would be taking away an asylum seekers due process rights if we didn't provide a full judicial hearing on, on this it, is that correct is there a counter argument to that
1: well you know we we could always allow and i think we're actually legally required to allow the that um a, a declined asylum application can be appealed to the immigration courts, right? So there's a due process element there. Sort of like a magistrate
0: a can appeal to a judge. Uh, you exactly. can appeal a right. magistrate, sort exactly. of. Okay.
1: Right, and so we, with refugees, I mean, we actually make the decision with refugee officers. You know, I mean, we, we these are you know well trained people who know a lot about the conditions in the country that people are fleeing from. They're professionals. Um, and we have a pretty good record, actually, on refugee decisions. Um, we would do something similar. I mean, our suggestion is something very similar with asylum officers, as people, and we have these people in the system. I mean, they are the ones that make the first decision on credible fear. We just don't allow them to make the next decision um, on 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 actually granting asylum or not. But have people who are very well trained, who are neutral, who are impartial, um, and who make the decision, and then you have an appeal for people that that want to appeal. And the government can appeal as well, obviously, to the immigration courts if if there's not agreement on the decision made. But it would be a much quicker way of getting to the first decision, and you take a lot of people out of the court system very quickly.
0: One more thing I I want to break down and that is President Trump when he talks about uh, the, the barrier at the border talks about a wall and we've talked briefly about what that means whether it's concrete whether it's steel slats whatever he talks about a physical presence we hear democrats and others saying you know that's that's really old 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 a uh, Great Wall of China kind of technology, uh, we can have drones, we can have electronic technology that doesn't have a building of a physical presence, and that would work just as well. Those two you know, you, those two yeah. sides, there seems to be a, a middle ground that the best solution, perhaps, is a mix of all of that.
1: I think that's exactly right. I mean, you know, if, if you're asked my wish list, it would be number one, fix the asylum system. Number two, in terms of border security, you know, I mean, uh, fixing the asylum right. system would actually take a lot of pressure off uh, off, off the system as we know it. Two, I would say, is investing in ports of entry because most of the, the hard drugs are coming through ports of entry. You know, somewhere between 80 and 95% depending on the, on the drug. And when the you say that,
0: th- you mean uh, through vehicles, through ports of entry, yep. through, through airplanes, cars, through por- ports yep. of entry, through exactly. uh, cars, ships, trucks, airplanes, shipping yep. at ports of entry. Okay.
1: Yep. Very little other than marijuana. Marijuana does come between ports of entry because it's a low-value product. Right, but, but cocaine and heroin and meth and, and fentanyl are hidden in cars and trucks. It's high-value product. You don't want to lose it. It's taken across in, in hideable quantities, um, and it's taken through tunnels as well. But it's not, people aren't running through the desert with it right. you know, in backpacks, in the way they are with marijuana. So you need to invest in, in customs inspectors and technology at the ports of entry um, to allow us to inspect cars and trucks. And then I would say you get into the the border barriers, which is a mixture of fencing and technology and and personnel. And, you know, there are places where it does make sense to put a wall up or a physical barrier, and there are places where it makes more sense to have technology or personnel in place. And in many places, it's sort of that combination, you know, it's a mix and match of the three. So I, I think reasonable people could sit down and design where are priorities and what is the sort of border security you need but they would not come up with a wall from sea to shining sea i mean that would probably not be the most effective use of resources but there'd be some wall in there
0: if and this is my interpretation i'm not ascribing this to you but if we can say that what president trump is proposing is unreasonable what the democrats propose uh, is unreasonable the democratic leadership is unreasonable. You, as a policymaker, do you approach this, uh, or a policy advocate, do you approach this as sort of picking off people from both sides, reasonable voices from each party? How do you go about advancing your positions?
1: You know, we we really don't advocate a lot. We try and do analysis, and we try and put ideas out there. But to the extent that folks will well, listen to us. I mean, we're, we're trying to, we try to do what we, sometimes it's called policy hygiene, you know, trying to to at least point at what would make sense in policy terms. And we know that we're, that that political decisions aren't always decided by policy. They're decided by political considerations as much as by policy. But But at least giving people tools that at least can get them through the stalemate. So, you know, Democrats being able to talk about, why some fencing makes sense actually and and give republicans tools to think about why some other measures at the border may make more sense than than fencing you know and give people at least tools that they can carry back but in the end you know this is a debate as much about the new congress flexing its its uh, newfound power and and president trump overreaching and not realizing that he has to negotiate with the new congress and you know both sides are really locked in the battle of also trying to to show how much influence they have and and that you can't solve with policy ideas unfortunately but but hopefully there are some some rational minds that will eventually step in and and give people language that we and others have have helped develop that that will help them least put policy terms onto, onto some of what they need to have a political solution.
0: And I know your organization does fast, fact-based research and analysis, but, but help us out, Andrew. Is this stuff that you generate on your own? Uh, I mean, do you generate the ideas that we want to do a study on X, or do you view the landscape, or are you requested to do studies by various organizations or governmental bodies? How does that work?
1: You know, we are fairly independent. Um, We've very occasionally done work for governments, but not uh, not terribly much. But most of our work is really scouring the landscape to see what the issues are that we think matter the most, and we we will sometimes develop. Our own thinking and put out policy proposals, and sometimes we'll convene groups of people together and try and have a conversation. Often, trying to bring together unusual groups of people that that might not always talk to each other. You know, people from the political world and the more academic and world. Um, sometimes, you know, people on the left and the right. Uh, really unusual collections of people. So we've done this on a number of issues, and we've done this uh, between Mexico and the United States, for example, trying to think of issues about how both sides see migration policy on, on each side of the border. So these are the kind of things we, we do to, to hopefully bring in not just our own voices, but a few other people as well in this process.
0: Andrew, I don't know whether I should or not, but I actually feel a little better after talking with you <laughs> for the last 30 minutes. So thank you. you, you
1: well, you know, I, I think, Tom, the, the, the real answer is that if nothing else, I think the American people are less divided than our politicians are at this moment. You know, I think when it comes to immigration, it's not that there aren't divisions. There are divisions. But I, but I think most Americans are somewhere in a very rational middle. You know, they still want immigration. But they do want to know why we're doing it, how we're doing it, how we're enforcing it. Um, They want their politicians on both sides to give them answers. And and at some point, let's hope the politicians come along with that as well.
0: Really appreciate your time, Andrew. And I hope as things unfold, we can always check back with you and get updates.
1: Um, Great speaking with you.
0: Today, we've been talking with Dr. Andrew Salee, the president of Migration Policy Institute in Washington, D.C., about the crisis on our southern border as defined by President Trump and other immigration issues. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hodgson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available at the NPR Podcast Directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of your podcast outlets.